Hello and welcome everyone to KSQD Santa Cruz at 90.7 FM. I'm Patrick Hart and you're listening to our show, What To Be, where we interview inspiring people and highlight their careers. What To Be is a program provided by Your Future Is Our Business, a Santa Cruz County nonprofit that helps students explore careers through programs such as college and career expos, panels, and other work-based learning activities. Please note that the views and opinions expressed in this program do not necessarily represent or reflect those of Natural Bridges Media or Your Future Is Our Business. The information provided during this program does not reflect its career in its entirety. And today I'm joined by Brad Kava, who has been a journalist for 40 years, who is a Cabrillo College teacher and the creator of Growing Up in Santa Cruz. Hi, Brad. Thanks for taking the time. How are you doing? Thanks, Patrick. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So, Brad, do you mind telling us how you got involved in journalism, like some of your background? Sure. So I was great, raised in New York, went to high school, college, and didn't know what I wanted to be. I was an English major in college. I loved reading. I loved writing. But what can you do as an English major for a job? You can write the great American novel, of which there are 36,000 released a year, and I don't think any of them pays money. <laughs> or you could be an English teacher, which that wasn't really what I wanted to do. So I tried some other jobs. I worked for a book publisher for a while, and it was all at a desk editing copy, and it was boring as hell. I hated it. Then I was a forest ranger in Yosemite, and that was a great job. I could have done that forever. I wrote programs, nature programs. I taught things, but I lived in a tent, and it looked like I was going to spend the next 40 years of my life in a tent, which would have been one path. But I, I found this journalism. I went to Berkeley, UC Berkeley for graduate school. And I had a great professor who was so inspiring. She, her name was Lacey Fosberg. She had been the first female police reporter at the New York Times and knew everybody and everything and painted journalism to be not just exciting, which it really is, but a way to bring light into the darkness. And I took her class and I was sold. So I spent two years at Berkeley getting trained and and doing internships. And one thing led to another and I did it for 40 years and it's the best job ever. That is awesome. And I remember you telling me or in class, you were talking about how you covered music for a lot of those years. Oh yeah, so the first, for say 25 years, I was a hard news reporter covering a lot of crime and then politics, corruption, murders, deaths, and then after the Oklahoma City bombing, which I think was around 1995, I got the opportunity to be a music critic for the San Jose Mercury News. And I spent the next 11 years doing that, which meant I went to 250 at least concerts a year, interviewed musicians and stars and promoters. I mean, anybody you can think of from the rock and roll generation, I got to talk to firsthand. And that was fun. But it was also my pleasure became my work. And that's something to think about. I could no longer go to a concert for fun. I'm not sure I ever still can because I'm still taking notes in my head for the article I should write. And also, I could never go to a wedding or a party because when are most concerts? On the weekends. So I spent my whole weekends working while everybody else I knew was off. But that aside, it was the best job ever on both levels, both being a hard news reporter and then you know, having fun, going to concerts. I love music. I'm a musician and, and I got a chance to talk to all my heroes. Well, that sounds like a pretty amazing 
opportunity. Any standout musicians that stand above any of the others? Well, uh, of course, they're great ones. Paul McCartney was amazing getting to talk to him. And although I asked him this one question, Paul, is there any question you haven't been asked yet? Because I want to find <laughs> that one. And he said, I've been asked everything. And of course he had. I had one question that made him ponder, and it was, which John Lennon song did he wish he'd written? And, and he had a great answer to that. And I got the feeling he hadn't been asked that one much. But, but that was a good one. David Bowie was like a revelation. I was supposed to talk to him for 25 minutes. We ended up talking for three hours. And his wow. press agent was trying to stop the conversation. And Bowie just blew off all these other interviews to talk to me. And it was a real conversation. I mean, he's another guy I look up to so much for his music. And he was as interested in hearing from me as I was in him. We were just having a conversation, like two college friends turning each other onto music. And, and one last one, Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top. The first time I met him, it was the same thing. He, he told me, go to your car and bring in your favorite CDs and I want you to play them for me and then I'll play you mine. And he was playing me all this unreleased ZZ Top stuff and other stuff. And we ended up, we were so late in his interview, he was late getting on stage at Portland <laughs> Amphitheater to talk to me. And then the coolest thing was next time he came back, I got to play with him. I play harmonica and I got to play with Billy Gibbons. So that was just great. But there, there were, you know, there's a lot of rock stars who were ego driven and aren't very nice, but then there are some who are amazing and it was worth it to get those amazing ones. Janet Jackson, my claim to fame with her, I got to touch Janet Jackson's stomach <laughs> backstage at the MTV Video Awards. We were talking in this room and she was, she came into the print room because she didn't want to be filmed or photographed and we were just hanging out and talking and she was telling me hey I'm a normal person I don't hang out with stars she said I just got back from two weeks of camping in Yosemite she said check out my stomach from carrying a backpack you know <laughs> and she had you know a ridged perfect stomach and, and I'll always remember I wish I wish I had that one on tape uh, video anyway because I got to touch Janet Jackson's stomach <laughs> well those sound like just great memories that you'll yeah. probably hold on to that's awesome yeah. And also being a ranger in Yosemite, that must have been really fun. I mean, maybe the tent thing was not the best, but there's probably a lot to it that was really great. Oh, it was great. And, you know, I had to lecture and teach and take people on hikes. I had a hike, a lecture that was called Close Encounters of the Furred Kind which taught people about mammals and I passed on <laughs> mammal skins and I introduced, I taught them tracking. I learned stuff from Native Americans there who'd lived at Yosemite. So they taught me a lot. And then at one of my hikes, I would lead people up to the top of Yosemite Falls once a week. That was a full day job all day long. And I'd have them read poetry up at the top. So I got to work my English background into the nature. So that, yeah, that was terrific. And I thought about it for life and maybe I could have done it. It would have been a different life. But the thing that got negative about it for me was one of my friends who was a Native American ranger who was really accomplished. One day he woke up and he got his transfer papers from Yosemite, which is the top park in the country, to some rattlesnake canyon in Arizona. And when you're a ranger, you're a federal employee and you just have to do what they say. And so he got this transfer out to the desert where he wasn't going to see anybody or use the skills he'd already developed in Yosemite. So that kind of was a wake-up call. I thought I needed something where I can write my own ticket better. Yeah, well, that's understandable. And that's unfortunate. You think that the park would recognize someone's ability to, to, to educate and keep them where they could best serve. Yeah. When did you become involved with teaching? So I used to, even then, when I was at the Mercury News, 
and before, I always talked to classes, college classes, high school classes, anybody who asked me, I would go talk to them and kind of share this exuberance I have and the things I got from journalism. And I spoke at De Anza College one day and the head of the department there said he'd like to give me a class. So I did it like during lunch from my normal reporting job and I liked it. You know, it was a chance to give back. It, I didn't do it for the money, that's for sure. There's teaching is really underpaid. But I did it for the fact that so many people, I was giving back what Lacey gave me, I was trying to give to them. And I think it really worked. I've got a lot of students now who are professionals in it. And, and I see them on Facebook or I talk to them in person. Like, for example, one of my students loved sports. That's all he cared about was sports. And he became a sports reporter and he was out on the field with the Oakland Raiders. And he just wrote a thing like, I am living my life's dream. And he thanked me for it. So that was worth everything. That's super cool. And did you get a chance being a sports reporter as well? I did some sports. I'm not a big sports guy, but... The beauty of journalism, for anybody listening, you're a, master, a jack of all trades and maybe not a master of any. But if you have an interest and you can tell an editor you want to go do that interest, well, then you get to do it. So, for example, I like baseball. There were these kids at a minor league field in Florida where I was working, and they would go out, catch the home run balls, and then sell them to the fans. So I spent a game with those kids writing about their lives. And that was interesting. It had been like a tradition. Their grandparents did it, their parents did it, and now they were out doing it. And then also I did a story out there on the new technology for baseball. Like they were making gloves that told you how fast the ball was pitched or caught into your glove and, and that had sunscreens built into the gloves, things like that. So anything I was curious about, I got to go explore and write about. And, and that's maybe the best thing about journalism that if you have an interest, they assume other people will be interested and they let you go pursue your passions. And I've made a whole career out of doing that. I've gotten to, I drove a bus because the bus drivers were going on strike because they didn't feel safe. So I spent a week as a bus driver, like <laughs> doing their training and doing their obstacle course. I drove the 22 bus in San Jose. I mean, you get to do things. I was in the air traffic control tower in, in San Jose airport at one point, shadowing them. It's like anybody whose life I was curious about, I got to go explore. That is really cool. Do you want to talk about some of the classes that you teach at Cabrillo? Oh, yeah. So right now we have two teachers, myself and Rachel Goodman, who runs KSQD. I mean, this was her baby. And she teaches broadcast journalism and mass communications. I teach news writing and publishing. So we put out the newspaper, the Cabrillo Voice, which has been going for 55 years. I teach the writing class, basically introductory, introduction to journalism. But the thing about my class that's different, the only training I ever had was as a grad school. So I model what I learned. So you're getting a pretty advanced class with what I have. And the people who walk out of my class go to other schools. If they go to a four-year, they all say they were way more prepared than anybody. Or a lot of them have come out of my class and gotten jobs. That's the beautiful thing, because we have internships, we pay $15 an hour for them to go work in the field. And once you get in the door, it's easier to get a job than if you're walking in cold. So the program is job, it, it goes both ways. It's an academic program where we teach ethics and law and things like that. But it's also a career program where I teach you, I give you the skills to go out and do the job. Yeah, and I've, and I've benefited from that internship by taking Rachel's class now I was given an internship at K-Squid, which then landed me this job being able to talk to you today, being the host of this show. 
you're an example of what can happen. And yeah. for Rio, only we and Stanford are the only ones that have this program where with this internship program. And it's benefited, it's the benefactor is Roland Reveille, a great man in Santa Cruz who was a newspaper publisher and made a lot of money. And now his goal is to give it all away before he dies. So that's who's paying you to uh, do your internship. Yes, and thank you very much, Roland. I had the pleasure yeah. to, to email him and thank him. And then we were emailing each other back and forth. And, and he just seems, he and his wife, Patty, I believe, they just seem like such great people. They, they really are. This guy, I've never met anybody like him in my life. You know, you hear about them and you hear about trickle down and you hear about wealthy people trying to help others. And he's the first one I really met firsthand that his whole life is, trying to spend, is spent trying to help other people. Well, that's, that's pretty, pretty beautiful. And so now you have your own publication, I believe. Uh, yeah. Do you want to tell us about that? Oh, yeah, sure. So I was the editor of the Gilroy Dispatch for a few years. And, you know, Gilroy is a great news town. It's like a right-wing Santa Cruz. So I mean, here at Santa Cruz, you know, everybody's for Bernie. There, I couldn't believe it. It was a big Trump town. And I felt, I felt like a square peg at that place. But but there's always good news to be found. Wherever you go, you're going to find corruption. I mean, if your job as a journalist is to bring light in the world, to expose corruption, to help the people who are your readers in every way that you can. And I've had a lot of different opportunities to help people. So it was a challenge in Gilroy. I enjoyed it. But I was done after a while. And I kind of got lucky because I left the job right before that big shooting at the Garlic Festival. I would have been there otherwise. But that said, I got the opportunity to buy a family magazine in Santa Cruz called Growing Up in Santa Cruz. We put out information that families need, and it turns out it's a very important niche. Oh, coincidentally or not, I had a baby. So at the age of 60, I had my first kid. I thought, well, I'm going to be learning all this stuff, so I might as well do a job that's going to make, make the learning part of my job. So like, you're, you're a parent. How do you know where to send your kid to preschool? How do you know what school is going to be safe with COVID right now? How, how do you know? Well, hell, I knew nothing. You know, how do you feed a baby? How do you change their diaper? All of these things. You could take classes. But now that's my whole life is writing about that and editing stories about that for people who are going through it the first or even the fifth or however many times. There's always a lot to be learned about raising a family. That's awesome. And how has publishing that magazine changed, I guess, during COVID times? <laughs> oh, it's been rough. I mean, we print, we put out about 30,000 copies of it and have a big presence on the web. Well, and, and of course, like all journalism or most, it's advertising sponsored. We make our money through ads. When COVID hit a year ago, we lost two thirds of our income. And it was looking desperate for a while. Like I thought we might not make it. And a lot of family magazines didn't make it because Schools are the big advertisers, after-school activities, gyms, on and on, and none of them could do their thing. But the amazing thing has been the community has rallied around us. I did a GoFundMe, I raised money there, but then I've had advertisers who don't even have their schools open, but they want to support us and they want to hold their place. Like they have a page two ad, uh, Jim Booth Swim School has a page two ad. He wants to keep it when we come back. So he was paying, buying ads, even when he didn't have a school program, just to keep us going. And that really showed me, I mean, you know, journalism, journalists, we get criticized a lot, and especially under those Trump years, he made us the enemy of the people. But if you're a good community citizen, the community will help you. And they sure did for us. I was, I'm still so 
grateful for everything people did for us to keep us going. And it's been a challenge, uh, you know, to lose two thirds of your income, which in a lot of cases meant I wasn't taking any. My people all got paid. I never cut them, but many months I was working for free. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that you're able to keep that going. And for those who are just tuning in, you're listening to the What To Be Show on K-Squid 90.7 FM. I'm Patrick Hart, and I'm speaking with journalist Brad Kaba. And Brad, do you mind just telling us what your day-to-day life is like? Oh, boy. Well, let's see. My day started at 3 a.m. today because I have two stepkids and my five-year-old son. So the only time I get a chance to do some quiet work, I work from 3 to 6 because today's also the publication day for growing up. So I did that. Then I went to an English department re- meeting at 9 a.m. for Cabrillo from 9 till 11. Then I'm doing this brief interview. Then I have to go back and probably spend the next six or seven hours editing, growing up and getting it in shape to send to the printer on Sunday. And then comes out the first of the month. We're printing 32 pages. And we have a really great issue, which I've come to think every time. I mean, I have great writers. So we're doing like a really good story on Black History Month, how it came to be. I had no idea. I'd love to learn things. Who knew Black History Month started 100 years ago as a week, and it was chosen in February because that's Frederick Douglass and Abraham Lincoln's birthdays. And in 1976, for the bicentennial, they enlarged it to a month, as well it should be, to to focus on Black history. So that's one thing we've got in this paper. We've also got a thing about what schools, preschools are doing to keep kids and teachers safe from COVID. So it's one thing to have a sixth grader, an older kid, you tell them to sit down or do something on Zoom. But what is a preschooler going to do And that is a huge challenge. And come to find out preschool teachers are the most underpaid people in our society and among the most needed because they're making, they're getting master's degrees or PhDs and they're making $35,000 a year. And yet without them, how could the rest of us work? If you can't send your toddler preschooler to preschool, how are you going to run, do a job even from home? So that's another story. I mean, we, our stories, I really feel like they're all important to the community. Brad, what are some of your favorite projects you've worked on or are currently working on? For a while, I was known as being a disaster reporter because I could write quickly. So every time I got on a plane and they were sending me all over, I knew people were dead at the other when I was getting off. So my last one was the Oklahoma City bombing where, you know, all kinds of people at daycare got blown up. All kinds of people died. And I had to see the bodies, see the people. It was, it was pretty hideous. But again, who else is going to bring that information to the world of what happened except people who are willing to go there? I, this is a whole different thing. So at one point, I did an investigation as a police reporter. And I found out that the sheriff of the county I was living in was paying prostitutes to sleep with the children or the candidates themselves that were running against him. So I did a big expose, ended up getting him arrested. That was a big deal. And I probably would have won a huge award for that, except that this was in Florida, where something like 30, maybe it was 43 other sheriffs were involved in major criminal cases, including murder. So, so the fact that he was running prostitutes wasn't as big as that he was killing people, but it was still, to me, it was a huge story. Uh, it took months to develop and months to produce the evidence, including the way we got that story in the first place was this woman walked in in red shoes and a miniskirt into the lobby And I was uh, working evening cops and the person at the front desk said, Brad, this one's for you. (laughs) And and she tells me she's a prostitute who was hired by this sheriff. So I gave her a tape recorder. I said, prove it. 
and she did. <laughs> so that was the start. Oh, oh my God. And speaking of awards, did you mention something about winning a, a Pulitzer Prize? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I was part of a team in 1989 that won the Pulitzer at the Mercury News for the Loma Prieta earthquake. Talk about a job. That was like three days of no sleep and seeing horrors all over. I was on Nightline also for that, Ted Koppel. But I remember early on, I was talking to a woman and she was crying and she said she lost her house. And I said, well, where was your house? And she said, that's it. And she pointed to what looked like just a pile of garbage. Didn't look like a house. It had slid down the hill. There were refrigerators. It just looked like a garbage dump. And she was like, you know, in shock and awe of what had happened. And, you know, you see all of that firsthand. In journalism, you see people at their best and their worst. You see them when they've, you know, won the World Series. I was there for talking to World Series winners. And then I was there for horrible tragedies of soldiers being killed, kids being killed, a little of everything. My first story, well, two of my first stories for the Braden and Herald in Florida. One was a family that got hit by a truck and they were in a station wagon and the truck took off the whole top of the station wagon. So all of them died. And I was out there at two in the morning looking at that. And, you know, I would see these little kid shoes on the side of the road there that had come from the crash. And just these images, I never thought I would see firsthand and maybe didn't want to, but again, somebody has to report it. And one of the things, since those kind of stories ran, you know, now they have these bars behind the trucks so that, I don't I forget what they call them, but they stop the trucks in the back from you being able to go onto the truck. Okay, so yeah, and even even in tragedy, sometimes something potentially can be positive. Especially, especially in tragedy. One of the great Pulitzer Prize stories was of a family in Boston during a fire, and the fire escape collapsed and killed the mother. And people and a photographer caught a picture of her falling to her death. And people said, like, you can't run that. It's horrible. But they ran it, and as a result of that, they passed legislation that fire, fire, what do you call it, fire exits had to be more safe. Yeah. Brad, what, what is the most surprising part of being a journalist? Something that maybe you didn't consider going into the field? Okay, so what I didn't consider was that people actually like us more than I expected. The worst example I had of this, again, one of my first stories, I had to go to the home of a family whose son died. He was in the Air Force and his son died in a plane crash. And I sat outside their house in my car for about 30 minutes. And I thought, I can't do this. I can't knock on their door. They're going to think I'm a vampire, you know, coming in there to make money off the blood of their son. And maybe I should get some other profession. So finally, I mustered the courage and it took a lot to go knock on their door. And I couldn't believe the reception. They were like, oh, we're so glad you were here. We really want our son's story to be told. So they sat me at a table, his fiance, his brothers, sisters, and they told me his story. And, and then they invited me to dinner, which I didn't have time to do because I had to go write the story. But I wrote it and it was a page one tribute to this kid from the local town who sacrificed his life. But the parents, it made them happy to get that off their chest and to tell the story. I never expected that. I, I really thought they would just slam the door in my face. And then I realized, you know, we're not the enemy. We're here to tell people stories. We're storytellers. And, and it can do good in the world. And that's, I was so offended the last four years with Trump calling us the enemy. 
and every other kind of thing, saying we make up facts. And, and journalists don't make up facts. They present the facts. That's, that's so important to what we do, is presenting things objectively and fairly. And I think maybe some of the media have changed over the years since I've been doing it, where they present more opinions. But overall, basic journalism training and ethics is to get the story right. Write it bright, write it tight, and write it tonight but always to be fair and balanced, which unfortunately Fox News has stolen as their slogan. But that really was what I teach and what I learned. And that's what the role of a journalist is, to present the story fairly. And um, Brad, what advice or resources can you give to students who are interested in pursuing a, a career in journalism? Oh yeah, I'm glad you asked that. So it turns out one resource is Cabrillo College. We even take high school students to do our classes. Uh, you have a great journalism program here that will teach you everything you need to know to go on to be in the field or to go to a four-year. Write for your high school paper. It's so different. When you write in an English class and you think you're a good writer, you're writing for one teacher to read it usually. And you're following a kind of stodgy format of three-sentence paragraphs, introduction, evidence, conclusion, yada, yada, and they all start sounding alike. In journalism, you have so much freedom. Your whole goal is to reach everyone, to entertain them, to make them read on to the next sentence, because they have a choice. They could put the story down or they can keep reading. And you have to be persuasive and interesting enough to keep them reading. And that's, you know, something I teach and something I try to do in every story I write. You don't want to be boring. You want to be interesting all the time. And that takes a lot of good reporting, getting good quotes, getting people's perspectives, and, and some tight and bright writing to, to keep it out there. You don't have to be a great writer, but you can organize facts in a way that make them more interesting. Okay. Yeah, I definitely remember having more of an interest in taking my high school journalism class and writing for the SoCal, it was called The Lancer. Yeah. I think it maybe still is, but yeah, I found, I found that a lot more interesting than my English class. Yeah, and it would be because you're writing for all your student friends to read and you've got to, you, you've got to reach them and, and not be boring to them. And that, that's a great way. It's a whole different perspective on writing when you're writing to really entice people and to, to keep them interested with so many other things they could be doing. So it's different than reading, writing for an English teacher where you just have to you know, repeat certain points to them that they're going to want to hear. Yeah. And it turned out to be therapeutic for me too. I had a, had a close friend and a lot of my friends went to go on the skateboarding trip up to San Francisco and I didn't go because of a, a class I had to take in Spanish. And my friend, they got in a car crash and my friend passed and I was able to write a story in the paper Oh my God! about that. So, yeah. you know, that, that meant a lot to me. I'd be curious to, to, if I could ever find that article, it's been, it's been a long time, but I'd be curious to read that. Save all your stories. I tell that to everybody, and I find my old ones, too. And, and, you know, here's a funny thing about careers and how you don't expect them. So when I was in high school, I had tickets to see Jimi Hendrix, $5 at the Fillmore East. But oh, wow. I had a history test the next day. So I thought, oh, I better do good on this history test. So I blew off seeing Jimi Hendrix. I thought, oh, I'll always be able to see him. Of course, he died soon after that. And I never got the opportunity. But then in my career, how much could I have benefited by being able to talk about seeing Jimi Hendrix as opposed to whatever test I was taking? I should have done both, but I blew it on that one. Yeah, I guess you just never know sometimes. Yeah, you never know. Yeah. Brad, what advice could you give a student or someone who is unsure about their career path? Well, try everything. They call it a liberal arts education for a reason. And that is you try, hey, I thought I was going to be a doctor at one point. I took biology classes. I was a ranger. You know, I was prepared to do all of these things. I, I took entomology. 
And the fun thing about journalism is I've been able to call upon all of that at some point in my career. So I always think getting a broad-based education is the most important thing you can do for whatever you're going to do after. Try everything. Do every internship you can do. Uh, get out there and experience the world. This is your chance to make mistakes that aren't going to be held against you. So when you're young, you can get away with anything. Plus, people care about you when you're young. If you tell somebody, I'm a student, they're going to open their door to you. And, and I would walk through it and learn what they had to teach. And Brad, last but not least, what would you like our listeners or students to take away from this? Well, if you're interested in journalism, sign up because uh, we're at Cabrillo College. Look under the journalism department, do a search on journalism in Cabrillo, and you can get into the classes now. Enrollment is down in community colleges, so now is your time to go out and, and forge your way forward. Uh, that would be my main thing. And, you know, read a newspaper, read. Reading is as important as anything you can do. And people seem to be blowing that off in favor of video and YouTube. But you got to read. It's, it's so crucial to what we think and what we do. Yeah, I agree with that. And Brad, thanks again for taking the time to help me out and answer some of these questions. Anytime. Really appreciate it. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to today's career story. With me, Patrick Hart, on our show, What To Be, with today's guest, Brad Kava, who has been a journalist for 40 years, is a Cabrillo College teacher, and the creator of Growing Up in Santa Cruz. If you have any questions or would like to share your career story with us, please send us an email at whattoberadio at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed our show, please join us again at 90.7 FM, KSQD Santa Cruz, at 7 p.m. on Sundays, and streaming online at ksqd.org. Or you can visit us at our website at yfiob.org for more ways to listen. Thanks and see you next time.